0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Icaro Ridge Community Church. So thankful that you are joining us today on the Monday broadcast. And today, I want to talk to you about a very important subject. Uh, As a matter of fact, today's message is one of those messages that if you don't listen to the whole thing, uh, you might take offense with the message itself, because I'm talking to you on the subject of overcoming an offense. You know, a pastor one time arranged for a, a gathering of the women's ministry. It was to be a garden party on the church lawn under the old, old tree. And at the very last moment, that very morning of the party, well, the Mrs. Preacher, she discovered that she had left somebody off the list. Sister Hissyfit Fit was left off the, accidentally left off the list to be invited. Well, the pastor called the dear sister and begged for her forgiveness. He said, I'm so sorry. We didn't catch this sooner, Mrs. Hissy Fit. Won't you please come to the party, conjoiled the pastor. Well, Mrs. Hissy Fit replied by saying, Well, begging won't help now, preacher. Said this offended Mrs. Hissy Fit, I've already prayed for rain. Now, now they can see a, a woman who has a hard time overcoming an offense. Well, there's my good friend Rick Amada who said... The seed to your greatest power can be hidden in the heart of your worst problem. Now, I know a lot of people that struggle with overcoming an offense. Now, the hard thing is, is they think everybody else has got the problem. They don't think they've got the problem. So today, uh, this message, I think, will be a blessing to you if you will hear what God's Word has to say about this subject of overcoming an offense. You know, Luke chapter 17 says, There's always going to be temptations to come, temptations to sin, but how terrible it is for that person who does the tempting. You know, if you're a person that cannot overcome an offense, you are causing other people to fall. You are actually giving the foot of the devil an opportunity. It says in Ephesians 4, 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him an opportunity to grab your foot, right? You ever play that game, grab a foot? Uh, you try to keep your foot. And sometimes I play this with my son uh, who has autism. We'll get in the pool and I say, okay, Seth, we're going to play grab a foot. And he'll start running around in the pool. And the, the goal is to keep your foot from being grabbed, right? And, uh, and I'll dive under the water, and then he'll try to, like, push me away so I won't get his foot, right? He does everything he can to avoid getting that foot grabbed, because once I grab his foot, I flip him over in the water, right? It's a lot of fun. But, you know, when you are a person that cannot overcome an offense, you're actually giving the devil an opportunity. You know what the devil is? He is the accuser of the brethren. You know, let me uh, ask you this. Are you struggling with this matter? And maybe you're not sure. Let me give you some indicators that you are struggling to overcome an offense. Here's one. You find yourself constantly compelled to tell my side of the story. Like like nobody else sees my side of the story. And, and so you'll spend hours telling your side of the story. And uh, I just recently, I spent some time with some people and uh, they spent an hour and a half telling me their side of the story. Well, I think I get their side of the story within about five minutes of the conversation. And then they constantly kept repeating their side of the story over and over and over again. Like like repeating it over and over and over again, I was going to somehow validate their offense and somehow was going to make me understand their offense. Uh, well, here's another question you can ask yourself. You might be struggling with an offense if you feel like nobody understands your struggles. You feel like nobody understands what you're going through. Or oh, you've shared your side of the story and you feel like nobody gets it. Nobody understands how bad my life is. Nobody understands how difficult what I'm going through right now really is. Well, here's another question you ask yourself. Are you a whiner? Feeling like a victim. Constantly whining, Right. You know, when you think about a whiner, that's a person that is constantly rehashing the woes of their lives, right? It always goes back to that offense. It always goes back to that offense. It doesn't matter how many times they talk about it. No matter what happens, it goes back to their offense. Uh, It's the old uh, adage of a person who is a globehead, right? The whole world revolves around me. Woe is me. Uh, Here's another thing. You might be struggling with offense if you have trouble being consistent To spiritual things. Uh, Let me reemphasize that, okay? Uh, Maybe you're the type of person that every few years, you think it's time to get a new church. You think that the church that you're going through right now, man, they don't understand you. You might even put a spiritual twist to it. I had had a person one time says, well, pastor, you don't understand. I have outgrown your church. Uh, they were so full of themselves, and uh, my, my heart went out to the next church that had to deal with a person uh, who was so spiritual, nobody could see how spiritual they were. Well, they were inconsistent in spiritual things, inconsistent in serving, inconsistent in giving, inconsistent in worshiping. Now, listen, you can't have great faith. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot have great faith until you have great faithfulness. Uh, you cannot divorce those two. Now, the psalmist said this. Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14. And and again, we're talking about offense. We're talking about what causes offense. I might be struggling with offense. Now, David is pointing out here that he's got an enemy. In verse number 12, Psalm 55, he says, You know, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising himself against me, man, I could hide from him. But if you, a man like yourself... My companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Uh, David is pointing out a very important point here. We don't generally get offended by people that are not close to us. Those who are people we don't know, I mean you think about the person that cuts you off, right? You don't know that person. Uh, You may get ticked off at that person, Uh, but you know, hopefully in a matter of minutes you're over that, right? You, You don't keep that as a long term offense. You think a long-term offense is coming from somebody that at one time you were very close to. David said, my close friend, my companion, we used to enjoy sweet fellowship, going to the house of the Lord. Now I want to look at the story today of King David. And we're going to look at King David and his relationship with a guy by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a close friend of David. He was actually related indirectly to David. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it says this about Ahithophel. The counsel of Ahithophel in those days were as if a man had consulted the word of God. Now here we see that Ahithophel, one of King David's most trusted advisors, betrays him. But why? But why did this happen? At one time, David looked at Ahithophel as a man he could count on. I mean, his words were directly coming from like one who had consulted the word of God. He was giving good, solid, biblical, godly advice. Ahithophel had been King David's counselor for decades, giving David the benefit of his great wisdom. As a matter of fact, Ahithophel was so brilliant, it was as if he inquired of the word of God every time he made a decision. When David learned that his trusted friend had betrayed him, he was so afraid that he prayed. And we actually have the record of his prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 15. David cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord, I pray you, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So, why did Ahithophel betray David after so many years of faithful service? And why would he do something like ask Absalom? David's son, to allow him to personally lead the army that brings an attack against David. Why did all this happen? And then finally, why would Ahithophel advise Absalom to do something horrific? I mean, here's a guy that David said was giving good, solid counsel, but all of a sudden something happened. Ahithophel got offended. He got so offended With King David, and we're going to talk about why that all happened in just a minute, but he got so offended with King David that he said to Absalom, that's David's son, Absalom, I'm going to give you some advice. It's really bad advice. It is really almost, I would call it satanic advice. He says, Absalom, I want you to go have sexual relationships with your father's concubines on the roof of the palace so that everyone can see it. Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall I do? So Ahithophel, this is finally in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. I mean, this stuff is really deep into depravity. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go to your father's concubines, whom he left to keep the house, and and all of Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So spread for Absalom a tent on the top of the king's house, and Absalom went into his father's harem in the sight of all Israel. Now, the whole story, as we see this, is a very unusual story, a story that is rooted in bitterness and one who could not get past an offense. You see, let me backtrack in the story, Okay. Uh, David was supposed to go to war, but he stayed in Jerusalem. Instead of going off to war, David's first mistake was he was not where God had called him to be. Uh, He wasn't at war, leading his nation against his enemies, as he should be, as their king. Uh, It was his job, his responsibility. It was the springtime of the year when he was supposed to go off to war. As we read about what David was doing in uh, we discovered that instead of being at battle, he was home, and he's at home, and, and he's out there, and we see something unusual happen. We see something terrible happen. Hey, you know the story, right? I'm not going to rehash all the details, but David is out, and he looks, and he sees a young woman taking a bath on her rooftop. Her name is Bathsheba, right? And he lusted after her and said to his servants, go get her, bring her to me, has a relationship with her. She becomes pregnant, and so he decides to try to cover up the pregnancy, and he says, well, send for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, bring him on home, and maybe he'll spend the night with her, and maybe I could do a big cover-up and say, well, you know, he came home from battle, and he was uh, on leave, and while he was on leave, his wife got pregnant, and, uh, and he was going to try this great scheme, but you know, we discovered that Uriah was more faithful to David than David was to Uriah. He refused to go home to be with his wife, and David even tried to get him drunk to get him to go home, and he still wouldn't go home. And finally, David said, well, I don't know what to do with this guy, and so I'm going to send him back to battle, and I'm going to order that he be put on the front lines, and lo and behold, he's going to be killed, and hopefully with him gone and out of the picture, nobody will put one and one together and get two, and I will be able to marry Bathsheba as my wife because her husband is dead, and the whole cover-up begins to fall apart. Now, as we look at this sad chapter in the life of David, well, there's evidence that Bathsheba was no stranger to King David. Bathsheba's father, Eliam, 2 Samuel eleven three, 3, was the son of Ahithophel. So Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Now we can begin to understand What is occurring behind the scenes? Bathsheba's husband Uriah and her father Eliam were part of an elite force of 30 men that fought for the king so that they would not have been strangers to David. The scripture tells us that Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, and she was very lovely to behold. As a result of David defiling Bathsheba, grandfather Hithophel had enough. And he says, I'm going to make a disgrace out of David. He held on to that offense and he didn't do it right away. He allowed that offense to fester. He allowed it to burn within him. And he said, when the timing is right, I am going to get David back. And lo and behold, he did get David back. Now, as we look at this sordid details of this story, uh, we can almost Sympathize with Ahithophel because he had a justifiable offense. But even if offense is justifiable, feeding it and fueling it and nursing it and rehearsing it doesn't make it better. You know, I've discovered that offended people tend to fall into two categories. Number one would be those who have indeed been treated unjustly, they have a legitimate offense. That's where Ahithophel is. The second group of people, and I run into a lot of these people, right? It is those who think they have been treated unjustly. Maybe somebody fed them a lie. Maybe they're buying into an untruth, and they have become a victim, and they have begun to nurse and rehearse and almost try to justify their offense. You know, when you nurse an offense, it does two very destructive things. Number one, it keeps me from seeing my own character flaws. I become consumed with the shortcomings of everybody else, and I become blinded to my own shortcomings. I can't see my own character flaws because I am stuck on an offense. It does something else. Nursing an offense also defers blame to another. I'm not taking responsibility. I'm deferring everything. Nothing that happens to me is my responsibility. I am a victim. It is always somebody else's fault, you know, in a dog obedience training, and I wish that my dog had gone to dog obedience training my my dog Gilbert is a beautiful dog, a yeah, golden retriever, all white fur, beautiful dog, you know purebred, right, but my dog has got some issues and and my wife loves the dog, and we actually got Gilbert as a as a therapy dog, thinking that the dog would help our son. Who has autism? Well, you know, uh, he hasn't been a very good therapy dog for Seth, uh, but he's been a wonder com- wonderful companion for my wife, Sherry. She just loves Gilbert, but Gilbert is a dopey dog, right? A derpy dog. I mean, fur everywhere, and uh, and he's got a hip that has got a little bit of a problem. So he'll come up and lean against you, and then fall right over. And he's just, he's got a head that bobbles sometimes uh, because he has some neurological issues. And, uh, you know, other other than that, he's a great dog. And so in dog obedience training that Gilbert never had, they put a dog at one end of the room and they put the master at the other end of the room. And then in the middle of the room, they put a plate of food. Now, the master will call the dog. If the dog eyes the food, man, he's a goner. It goes straight for it. So they teach the dog to focus his eyes on the master. If the dog keeps his eye on the master, he won't be tempted. Instead of heading for the food, he'll head straight to the master. Now, what are you thinking about offense? When you get an offense, don't focus on the offense. Focus on God and what he can do. Well, let's talk in the remaining moments that we have Well, how do I work through an offense? And I want you to know that you can't get through life without somebody offending you. It's just a fact of life. You're going to get hurt. Somebody's going to offend you. You may as well get used to it. I've discovered something about offense. A person who absorbs offenses, it doesn't really matter if they're significant offenses or if they're insignificant offenses. They have begun to get in the habit of nursing their offenses. So how do I work through it? Well, let's look at Revelation 3.18. Now, this is kind of an unusual verse uh, you may think to look at when it comes to matters of offenses. But there's a key statement in here that I think is extremely helpful. Revelation 3.18, New Living Translation says, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. All right, then you'll be rich. And also buy white garments. So you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. And then here's a phrase that really drives home how to overcome and work through an offense. And buy ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Ointment for your eyes. This is a, a sign of bringing healing to your eyes so that you can be able to see. Prior to having that ointment in your eyes, you have a very distorted view, you have a very offended view, and you can't see clearly. When healing begins to take place with this ointment for your eyes, then you can see. And we look at the beginning of that verse, and it talks about buying gold that has been purified by fire. The issue is not going through an offense. We all go through times where we're offended. The question is, will you allow that offense to purify you, or will you allow that offense to burn you? There's a difference between the two. When gold is purified, the dross is brought to the surface and it is cleaned off. It is pure. When it is burnt, it has that burnt smell to it. It's kind of like the other day I came into the church and and immediately I knew something happened. As soon as I walked through the door, I smelled something. And I said, "Somebody burnt the popcorn, right?" Now, popcorn in a microwave, man, that's an amazing thing, right? But if you overcook it, it gets burnt. But if you cook it just the right amount, it pops up and it gives you a, a wonderful kernel of corn pops open and it is delicious. Cook it too much, it's burnt. Cook it just the right and it's a beautiful dish of popcorn, right? The same is true with dealing with offenses. If you allow an offense as you're going through that fire of offense to burn you, you will be singed with fire. And so, Lord, help me to clearly see my offense, the truth of my offense, and how I should respond. You know, I think about the Hatfields and the McCoys. I was reading a little bit about the history about the Hatfields and McCoys, and they have become notorious, right? Two families that refuse to get along with each other. And they're not even sure what the big fight was. Some think it was over a pig, uh, somebody uh, won the Hatfields and the McCoys, stole a pig from each other, or whatever, and uh, they thought that was a big thing. As a matter of fact, the Hatfields and the McCoys have become so famous as a an analogy of somebody who is in a an offense and a fight that in September of 2018, a wooden statue standing over eight feet tall was erected in honor of Randolph McCoy at the home place of the McCoys in Harding, Kentucky. (laughs) They got a a group of guys that were chainsaw carvers, and and they donated a piece of property for this statue to be held. And uh, it's actually on the McCoy property. And uh, it's actually a a Hatfield descendant that owned that property. And the statue was unveiled during the Hatfield-McCoy Heritage Days in Pike County, Kentucky. Uh, this is an event that occurs every September that brings the Hatfields and the McCoys back to Pike County uh, to celebrate their now long-standing peace between their families. The McCoy Home Place, like many other associated with the feud, is now open to tourists year-round. So take a trip to Pike County, uh, Kentucky, and check out this statue uh, carved by Travis Williams of Randolph-McCoy. And, uh, and that will remind you what unsettled offenses can do. So let's talk about how we work through our offenses. Number one, be open to the complete revelation of truth. Not your side, not the other person's side, the truth, right? Sometimes I use an illustration of a, of a little wooden car, and it's actually a little pickup truck. It's a little wooden pickup truck. On one side, it's painted red. You flip it around. On the other side, it's painted blue. And so I take this little thing and I say, okay, I'll hold it in front of the person. And I say, okay, what color is the pickup truck? And I say, well, it's red. Okay, great. You're right. Uh, it's red. Then I, then I turn around and say, what color is the pickup truck? It's blue. If you're going to overcome offenses, you've got to get over the idea that your view of that pickup truck is the only view and it is the right view. You're seeing one side. Our brother offended, Proverbs 18, 19, is harder to be one than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now listen, let me tell you something about overcoming an offense. You will remain offended until you no longer want to remain offended. It is a choice. You choose to be offended. I've learned something about trying to bring about reconciliation. I cannot reconcile two people who don't want to be reconciled. It only takes one not wanting to be reconciled. Not two, it takes one. A brother who has been offended or allowed an offense to enter in his mind, the task of reconciliation is very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's near impossible until you're open to the complete revelation of the truth, until you're open to the point that, you know what, I have way overreacted on this thing. Now, when it comes to understanding truth, Jesus did not compromise truth to keep people from being offended. let's look at John chapter 6, verses 69 to 66. When the followers of Jesus heard this, many of them said, you know, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Knowing that his followers were complaining about this, Jesus said, does this teaching bother you? (laughs) Well, of course it does, right? And Jesus knew it was bothering. It was getting right under their skin. And it wasn't because Jesus was trying to get under the skin. It was the truth that was rubbing them the wrong way. Then also, it will also bother you to see the Son of Man going back to the place where he came from. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh does not give life. The words I told you are Spirit and they give life. But some of you don't believe. There it is. They don't believe. That's why they're offended by the truth because they didn't believe the truth. Jesus knew from the beginning who didn't believe and who would turn against him. Jesus said, that is the reason I said, if the Father does not bring a person to me, that no one can come. After Jesus said this, many of his followers left him, stopped following him, Jesus asked the 12 followers, do you want to leave also? Simon Peter answered, well, Lord, who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the only one from God. Then Jesus answered, I chose all 12 of you, but one of you is of the devil. Jesus was talking about Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas was one of the twelve, but later he was going to turn against Jesus. Jesus refused to compromise truth to keep people from being offended. So we must stand on truth. Well, I hope you join me tomorrow. We're out of time today on the broadcast. I will continue this subject tomorrow as we talk about how to overcome an offense. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 AM. We'd love for you to join us. For more information,